1: Institute of Art and Ideas, Articles, Videos and Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. In clothes,
0: some of our most serious cultural crises are happening. The most serious questions about sex and gender and religion and violence are happening in clothes.
1: This week, Sharda Burry, writer, broadcaster and professor of fashion cultures and histories at the London College of Fashion, talks us through icons of style, the political significance of our clothes and the philosophy of fashion.
0: We need to take a really serious look at what we wear. So if anybody ever tells you that to think about clothes is frivolous or vain, you can rebuke them. Things are happening in the way that we dress and it's
1: time we tended to it more carefully. So what can fashion teach us?
0: I want to suggest a more existential, emotional, as well as intellectual account
1: of clothes. If you like what you hear, let us know on Facebook or Twitter at IAI underscore TV, or leave a review on iTunes. And if you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas, head over to our website, IAI.tv. Now back to Sharda Barry for this week's talk.
0: So I'm going to show you a couple of images of people who I think are, st- who may or may not be style icons. Cary Grant. Yes, Cary Grant in North by Northwest in 1959. He's wearing a suit that is uh, made or cut by Kilgore's French and Stanbury, the Savile, Root, uh, Savile Row tailors. Um, and the suit had to be replicated eight times for when he was shooting North by Northwest, because if you know the film, he's constantly ducking under crop dusters and clinging from Mount Rushmore. and it was. Um, replicated by Quintano of Beverly Hills. And in the scene in the hotel room where he takes off his suit, you can see the label, and it says Quintano. Um, and the interesting thing about Cary Grant for me is that his father was a tailor's cutter, and he had a very fraught relationship with his father, um, which I write about in my book, and I will tell you more about at some point. So yes, Cary Grant style icon. Madonna style icon. I mean, I think she's going for a slightly deranged pirate phase <laughs> at the moment, but I like it very much. Janelle Monet? Yes, reinvented the tuxedo for women in, and non-binary identifying people in the 21st century. She's done something amazing for um, the idea of masculinity, which she seems to have contoured by appropriating or claiming the suits. Boris Johnson, there's something so distressingly vulnerable about his pink knees. Um, <laughs> but this is a very daring ensemble, a fleece and surfer shorts Uh, a man with the courage to mix a striped beanie hat um dashingly askew uh, with crumpled florals if he can't bring about brexit who can i mean look he can carry this off um the moment we're talking about something called shamble chic boris is the um the poster boy if you like of an an idea of shamble chic um which i think Uh, the logic of which is that you dress like a walking whoopee cushion. Um, So this is a trick quiz, of course. Everybody is a style icon, but I did want to narrow in on Boris Johnson because we don't talk about him enough. Um, (laughs) But also, for me, he's indicative of a certain kind of analysis about, about fashion that's happening at the moment. And the argument of my book is that we need to take a really serious look at what we wear, and many people take that to mean something more facetious than what I mean. They mean analyzing what politicians were, and that seems to me a very stupid And an interesting way to talk about clothes. So you will have heard the conversations about Theresa May wearing leopard spotted suede heels, and whether that compromises her feminist ideals. How boring. Um, Or is Angela Merkel appropriating masculinity or mimicking masculinity by wearing these blocky boxy suits? Um, Is Jeremy Corbyn an inappropriate leader because he wears a duffel coat? or a, 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 a whatever that is, an anorak, I think, to a, a really important event. Is Melania sending us messages through her coat? All of those analyses, I think, are rubbish. I think they're part of a bigger dead cat strategy where spin doctors are throwing things on the table to distract us from what's really happening in the world. And you should ignore that. And what I'm going to try and talk about, do you see how I coordinated the big clock cross with my dress today? I really gave this some consideration. But I don't. I want to ignore that version of fashion and politics. I want to suggest a more existential, a more emotional, um, as well as intellectual account of clothes. I'm going to try and explain what that might mean. Despite the fact I've dismissed that political analysis of fashion, I don't want you to think that there isn't a politics of fashion. Um, It seems to me absolutely true that in moments of crisis, what we wear can feel like the most trivial of concerns. But it seems to me so curious, if you think about it, that so many of our most heated cultural disputes are are circling around the right to wear particular clothes in particular circumstances. So just think about the conversations we're having at the moment about trans identity. A significant part of that conversation is about the right to wear dress or, or, or in seemingly or not, uh, not gender specific ways. Um, or think about the veil um, and the hijab. Boris Johnson, of course, said that women in burkas look like letterboxes. Um, the burqa and the hijab have become a shorthand for Islam. And we've been in a near, constant state of anxiety for many years now about the place of the veil in Europe or think about conversations about street harassment and rape blame, how often and regularly, how routine it is um, for the conversation to um, end up uh, uh, talking about the the length of of hems and the the clothes that women are wearing in... um, some of the most vulnerable moments of their life. Um, So what I'm trying to say here, by setting out those examples, is that in clothes, some of our most serious cultural crises are happening. In fact, there is even a way in which, I, I think you could argue that the most serious questions about sex and gender and religion and violence are happening in clothes. Um, So if anybody ever tells you that to think about clothes is frivolous or vain, you can rebuke them. Things are happening in the way that we dress and it's time we we attended to it more carefully. And my book tries to do that. Um, It tries to take a philosophical approach to clothes um, because our clothes have always been there. Our clothes have been witness to all the things that we do and desire. And we have never regarded them with great seriousness. So I wanted to start my conversation with you um, with a question, why, why have we come to think that clothes don't matter? And I've got a number of um, suggestions as to why that might be. First of all, fashion seems deeply antithetical to philosophy. Um, philosophy is a discipline or a body of work that wants to be universal. And fashion seems exclusive. Philosophy is about lasting truths, and fashion seems to be about fads. Philosophy purports to be about what's deep inside. Fashion seems to be about mere surfaces. Philosophy is concerned with the serious realm of ideas. Fashion seems like the most frivolous realm of appearances. So you can see quite how oppositional these two um, realms are. Um, The American essayist, poet and philosopher uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, apparently, this is apocryphal. I've never been able to find the quote, but it sounds like him. He said that one reason to dress well is that dogs respect it and will not attack you in good clothes. Um, And anybody who's ever known a dog will know that's not true. (laughs) If you've got a hairy Labrador uh, uh, and had muddy paw prints uh, all over your favorite dress or suit, then you'll know that's not true. Uh, Dogs don't respect your clothes. But Emerson is part of a larger philosophical tradition Uh, which expresses skepticism about clothes Um, and this is to do with the problem of appearance, Um, the idea that appearances are deceptive. Now in philosophy this is a slightly technical boring it seems to me actually conversation. Appearances belong to a really tiresome technical uh, debate about the limits of knowledge and the nature of perception. It is The question of appearance is almost always disconnected from dress in philosophy. And if you know the discussion of Plato's in Plato's Republic of the Allegory of the Cave, Plato is puzzling over how we distinguish between the appearance of reality and reality itself. Plato ends up exhorting us to seek truth um, and to be mistrustful of dissimulations, of disguises, of appearances that keep us from truth. After Plato, we get Kant, who's also concerned with appearance. And he thinks of it as a philosophical problem, which is about the relationship between the reality of things as they really are and the limited ways in which we perceive them. It's a very potted history of of Plato and Kant. But I want to set up this idea that the big hitters in philosophy begin by telling us doubt appearances, that truth is naked, and be wary of disguise, suspicion, or the dressing up Um, of reality Um, and the thing that interests me about that is that those long hand-wringing Um, debates about appearance rarely think about what it might mean to live in the world and look a particular way. What it might mean to walk through the world in a body that is dressed and appear to other people, to present ourselves to other people. And that's what I'm trying to think about. A, a, A version of philosophy that doesn't pretend that being interested in material or phenomenological life is unimportant. It's not, it's the single most important thing of all, it seems to me, that we have bodies, that we stand in front of each other, that my cotton sleeve will rub against your linen shirt later this afternoon. That means something to me, it seems to me, and it warrants our inspection. But the other reason I think that um, that affectation that we should not be interested in appearances or we should be suspicious of appearances, academics are particularly good at pretending to be invested in the life of the mind and not the body. Um, The other reason I find it so absurd is that have you ever seen an academic? They are dandies, a lot of them. We are (laughs) posers with PowerPoints. So this is Raphael's School of Athens. This is bloody Plato. I mean, look at these guys. The idea that we just live this abstracted life of the mind is absurd. Continental philosophers are my, my favourites. I mean, my God, uh, this is Bart, who is just outrageously cool in this leather jacket. Bart, of course, actually writes a book about fashion because he knows what's what. Um, Foucault. If you think about Foucault, one of my absolute favourite people in the world, in that leather jacket and those kind of the bottom of a bottle, glass top. I, uh, uh, um, glasses, um, or Simon de Beauvoir with that very elegant chignon. Um, Derrida, someone said to me, uh, looks like somebody, one of my friends met Derrida and said he looked like somebody who had um, the look of a rakish ski instructor. I mean, you can see that. You can see that, can't you? Um, but t- to my mind, there are, there are two reasons why philosophy has been Generally, traditional philosophy, rather than the continental tradition that I'm interested in, has been sceptical about thinking about appearance. And one is that um, this business of having, one of this is this this scepticism to the idea of appearance and doubts about what it means to appear, but also that this business of having a body and wearing clothes seems very often to be a feminine concern, and feminine concerns always obviously get marginalized in philosophy, which is the master discipline. But one of the things I want to talk to you specifically is about narcissism. Narcissism is a philosophical concept. Um, So um, because if you care about your appearance, you hazard accusations of narcissism. And I want to suggest to you that maybe narcissism is not so bad (laughs) in many ways Um, when we overthink our appearance we can be accused of narcissism but in the ancient greek story Narcissus's problem is that he's stupid he's driven to destruction by the beauty that he sees reflected in a woodland pool and that makes him turn away from life because he's stupid and he can't identify his own reflection as him you have to be very very stupid not to be able to do that So he ends up lending his unhappy name to people who are inordinately self-concerned. But there is another way to think about narcissism, or at least self-consciousness. Because it seems to me that intelligent self-consciousness, or an alertness to yourself, is something that philosophy has been directing us to for centuries. Freud says of narcissism that it is an instinct for self-preservation, a measure of which may justifiably be attributed to all living creatures. And this narcissism, he claims, is a necessary part of our infant development. What he means by narcissism as infant development is the promiscuous ways that we see ourselves in all things. Uh, in the way that babies see themselves in their toys, in their trinkets, in their mothers. The entire world reflects us back to ourselves, and it reflects back to us an inflated sense of ourselves. But the object of this narcissism is that it means that we're connected to the world too. We're tethered to the world. If we see ourselves in the world, then we're connected to it. And narcissism for Freud is related, is connected to a really, is associated with a fundamental sense of relatedness. You might think narcissism is about a kind of solipsism or self-absorption, but Freud is telling us, really, that it's about relatedness. We see ourselves in all of the world. The world reflects us back to it. Um, we find ourselves inextricably caught up in the world in which we find ourselves and see ourselves. And this act of seeing ourselves, I've become really interested in what it means to see ourselves both physically in the mirror when you were leaving the house today, or that hasty moment, if you haven't had time to look in the mirror where, you know, you just catch an askew glance of yourself at the door and you correct your collar or pull down your skirt, and the kinds of anxieties that come with that. Um, And how often we look at ourselves and what we're doing when we look at ourselves. Are we regulating ourselves? What are we vigilant for or against? This act of seeing ourselves, both literally, physically, and metaphorically, that way is a way of holding ourselves up to our own inspection. And that seems to me a really profound task, actually. What I'm trying to say here is that um, the narcissist doesn't have to be stupidly self-absorbed. They can be self-conscious in a really alert way. They can be wry and ironic in the ways that they look at themselves. And when we fashion ourselves artfully and attentively, We can be open to accusations of vanity and pretension. But actually, that ability to see yourselves, when you see yourselves outside of yourselves, which is what happens when you look at your reflection, Well, that is a really important philosophical strategy because we're able to reflect then on what it means to be seen by others. And we're able to pose questions about things like authenticity. Authenticity is just one of the the most important philosophical questions. How far are we ever able to present our inward selves with any accuracy to other people? Are there any moments that we feel ourselves real or true and seen by others? Seeing ourselves, can be a burden too, of course. And that is made manifest in those dutiful ways that we self-regulate, when we vigilantly assess our, our appearance against those pernicious and exacting ideals of beauty or propriety or age. Have I dressed appropriately for my age?
1: Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? And there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level.
0: Um, One of the cruelest things that we learn from wearing clothes is that our bodies change. um, That we face this everyday attrition. Heidegger says we are dying. We are dying at any moment and every second. Um, And what he means by that is that um, being is a process. It's a continuous um, tense, being, and we are ending as we are being. And when we wear clothes, one of the things that happens is that we start to recognize our bodies as mutable things that are not always within the limits of our control. If anybody knows that feeling of um, pulling out your summer jeans and finding, oh, they must have shrunk, you know, (laughs) or, you know, or just... um, you know, as you, there's so many beautiful young faces here, but as you get older, you know, um, that you're not able to wear the heels that you once wore or somehow the colour of your favourite shirt um, is, makes you look that much more drawn. You know, we, we're changing all the time and our clothes are always alerting us to how mutable we are. And that is painful, it's painful when you realise that you can't wear the thing that you once wore or that you don't see yourself now as you once were. That is painful, but that's a vulnerability that we share with other people. And when we extend our imagination to the possibility of other people's, that's the basis of ethical relationships, that's what the philosophers talk about, the moment where we see ourselves outside of ourselves and we're able to imagine others seeing us and others seeing themselves too. One of the things I've become really interested in is how, how, how harsh we can be when we, we lament our fluctuating weight, or our washed out skin, or our tired clothes. How we refuse to give ourselves kindness. And that kindness that we, deser- we, we deny ourselves, I think, often, I think, we extend more sympathetically to others, because we have an understanding of our own imperfections. Um, so what I'm trying to say here is these reflections, Uh, which might be called narcissism, are not wasteful. Um, This is a version of philosophy or the self-consciousness and the ethical relation that philosophy encourages. Um, Philosophy, um, more conventional ethics, sets out an idea of a contract-based culture of rights and responsibilities. If you think of Rousseau, for instance, where we abide by laws and regulations and we fulfill obligations. But there are, there's another way to think about ethics and another way to think about a civic society. And that's predicated on an idea of self-cultivation, which isn't, to my mind, very far from narcissism. The Greeks talk about it. They talk about the care of the self. Um, and Foucault talks about the care of the self towards the end of his life. He, he goes back to the Greeks to think about what it might mean to care for yourself. And bear in mind, he's doing this as he's dying of an age-related illness. His body is, um, he's in a state of dereliction. And it is remarkable, I think, that he's thinking about how to care for yourself at that moment when you are falling apart. And he says to take care of oneself, to, to take care of every aspect of one's being, taking pains with one's holdings and one's health alike, writing, reading, eating, exercising, in all these activities we cultivate dignity. And that's a dignity I think that we can attribute to all human (coughs) beings. So rather than turning inward like stupid narcissists, we can be selves that are looking outward to the world. And we are open to the inquiry and engagement of others. One of the things that I love about dress is that You don't have to be, lots of you are very stylish, I can see. You don't have to be stylish. I think what everybody wears is so interesting, but what we wear isn't always about our identity, isn't always about the things we want to say about ourselves or the fact that we love the pixies or um, love cinema um, or... um, Uh, or, 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 uh, you know, we support a football team. It it seems to be not so banal. But whatever you wear, whether you've thought about it or not, we're walking through the world next to each other. And one of the things that being alert to clothes does is it makes you susceptible to other people. So I can, in the corner of my eye, I can see that mustard yellow cardigan, which is stabbing, just jabbing gently. And then there's also a slightly more... um, Cerise version over over here, that they're speaking to each other, and the texture of that padded um, orange uh, gilet um, is contrasting so strongly with the very delicate silk of the person sitting in front of me, you know, that we're susceptible to each other, and our clothes tell us that we live in a world where we're open to each other. That interests me so tremendously, and if anybody cares about clothes, they know what that is like to walk through the world and be alert to the other people in that world with you. Um, The last person I want to talk about is um, Audre Lorde, who talks about care of the self. Um, And she talks about it again when she's dying um, of cancer. She refuses to, she has a mastectomy, and she refuses to um, wear a prosthesis um, uh, uh, because this is her body. Um, And she talks about what it means to care for the self in a political context. It's become very facetious self-care. We talk about self-care at the moment, which means paying for really expensive yoga classes, which is what I've been doing this year, um, to my chagrin and embarrassment. Um, but actually, self-care isn't doesn't have to be commodified or part of a kind of capitalist logic that Gwyneth Paltrow is the queen of. You know, self-care is, profounder than that. Um, Audre Lorde talks about self-care. She says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation. And in the epilogue to her book, A Burst of Light, she says, and that self-care, that is an act of political warfare. And here she means that self-care is not an excess of vanity, but it is a way of insisting on your own value in an oppressive culture that is disinclined to prize your particular body and being. In her case, that of a a black woman. Uh, And it seems to me that our acts of self-care are most powerful of all in a society that insists that we're not worthy of it. Um, You you should care for yourself, because if not you, then who? Um, One of my my most favourite moments when I was writing my book is realising that someone like Audre Lorde was thinking about what it means to be dressed and embodied. And um, in A Burst of Light, she's in a garden in the south of France with a group of women from Soweto. And it's during the apartheid regime. And she's thinking about forms of solidarity between women. And she says, the women are sewing. They're sweeping the dirt the dirt ground of the yard, hanging out clothes in the sunlight at the edge of the enclosure, washing and combing each other's hair. And I find it just almost unspeakably moving, the solidarity of these female black bodies in that particular moment. Um, And later on she says she has to care for her own body when she's dying of cancer. I cannot simply hand over that responsibility to anybody else. Self-care acts are crucial strategies in my battle of living. They provide me with prototypes for doing battle in all other arenas of my life, so Audre Lord, is telling you to care for yourself. That's where my book begins. Ha <laughs> Now you have to go and read it. Um, so I try to set out what it would look like to have a philosophy of clothes, to finally take clothes seriously rather than an- analysing what um, Melania Trump is wearing. Um, and I say it might prompt us to think about things like mortality. Um, it might prompt us to think about what it means to be in a society that scrutinizes scrutinizes us, for women particularly. Um, uh, I'm really interested in this idea that We're concealing as much as we're displaying in the things that we wear. Clothes are for hiding in as much as they are following. If you think I'm the sum of all I'm wearing, you're wrong. There's so much I'm hiding from you. Um, And that's also part of the delightful puzzle of what people wear. What are you you hiding from me? Um, I write about animal skins and what it means to wear, um, what it means to have relationships to other creatures on this earth, and what it means to master them and to mimic them, what does it mean for a woman to wear a leopard print coat, right? Um, What does it mean to wear the skin of another creature as close as possibly can be to our own? Um, But the most important part of my book is that I want to prompt you to think about how we relate to the planet and to each other because we're living through an ecological crisis, as you know, and fashion is a significant part of that crisis, particularly fast fashion. And we really have to start thinking about clothes, taking it seriously and getting the measure of the tremendous ecological cost of clothes. Um, I'm not, I'm never very interested in berating young women about buying clothes. I've had that moment where you open your wardrobe and you just fill with such deep shame at the stuff that you've accumulated. And you ask yourself, what hole is it in life that my clothes are filling? Um, And I would never rebuke anybody for wanting to fill a hole in life with clothes. But it's worth thinking about what compels us to buy clothes. And for me, the most important thing is not overconsumption, but overproduction and how we change the industry that makes clothes the ecological catastrophe It is at the moment. And so one of the the objectives of my book is to make you pause and think about what you're wearing and what other people are wearing, and to think about the hands through which any garment has passed. Because if you can care about your clothes, you might also start to care about the people who make them. Um, I mean, that sounds like a very bleak moment to end. I'm not going to end there. Um, But the other thing is, whenever I've been talking about my book, I've been looking at rooms like this, where people are dressed in magnificent and interesting, daring, drab, brilliant, exciting, extraordinary ways. It is a remarkable thing to be dressed human beings. We are the only creatures that dress. And we have never looked more different as a society. I think it's worth thinking about that that any moment that you when you get on the tube or when you're walking through this festival ground, that human beings have never looked more differ- different different. And our clothes are the artefacts of our humanity and how diverse and extraordinary that is. So I'll end there. Thank you for coming.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. It was hosted by myself, Catherine Flay, and our guest speaker this week was Shida Barry. For more on fashion's significance, try our debates. There's Dying for Dior, which asks if fashion is an aesthetic art form, or Art Couture, disputing whether clothing can have meaning. You can find both on our website, iai.tv. Leave a comment and review if you enjoyed today's talk, and tune in next week for more debates and talks from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas.
0: Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets, Pepper Pig.